welcome to the Psych and Business Podcast, where we highlight the integration of psychology and psychological principles into the world of business and organizations. I'm your host, Dr. Ernest Wade. I'm really excited to introduce you to my guest today. She's a recognized pioneer of executive coaching and a trusted leadership advisor to many executive levels at the C-level. Her name is Dr. Carol Wazlishan. Dr. Wazlishan specializes in delivering customized leadership development services to senior business leaders. She is a recognized pioneer of executive coaching who has distinguished her work in executive coaching of CEOs and other corporate executives, the design and implementation of CEO succession and high potential development programs, and advancing the application of emotional intelligence in the workplace. She is a frequent speaker on the subject of executive behavior and has coached hundreds of executives representing every global sector. Her clients include or have included Bristol-Myers Squibb, Colgate Palmolive, the Masters Card Foundation, and many, many more to name. She has served and been honored by numerous community-based organizations, including the Painted Bride Arts Center, the Girl Scouts of Southeastern Pennsylvania, and again, many, many more to name. She's a fellow of the American Psychological Association and APA's Division of Consulting Psychology and has a current academic appointment as adjunct professor of clinical psychology at the Institute for Graduate Clinical Psychology at Widener University. She's also a past member of the coaching faculty in the Wharton School's Advanced Management Program. Widely published in her field, her most recent book, Destined to Lead, is the first and only collection of executive coaching cases and includes the leader's written reflections on their coaching experiences. In other books, she has used poetry as a tool for exploring and understanding business leaders' behavior. She is the 2018 recipient of the prestigious RHR Award for Excellence in Consultation. In 2018, 2020, and 2022, the peer-reviewed Consulting Psychological Journal honored her with its Best Article of the Year Award. Wow. Carol, you are clearly a rock star, and it is my absolute pleasure to welcome you to the show. Thank you, Ernest. Thank you very much. Carol, you, your, your bio is so amazing, and there is so much to get into here. I just want to get started and ask you, how did you go from where you were in terms of publishing and, and things like that and get into where you are now as such, a, such a, an awesome rock star in the world of coaching? You know, I, I was looking forward to our, my conversation with you, and I was thinking about that myself. And a quote from Mark Twain came to mind, this great quote in which he said, the two most important days in your life are the day you're born and the day you find out why. <laughs> so, you know, when I started my journey of, of working I, I really thought I was going to be a journalist. I was at McGraw-Hill Publishing Company in New York for 10 years. And I had this wonderful mentor who said to me at one point, you know, Carol, I really see you in psychology. And there was a, a long time of, of discussion there with him, but ultimately I decided to leave my career in journalism. And I did my uh, master's and doctorate in clinical. And then I began to think about how to integrate the two. And, and that was the moment when I found out why. That was my why. Because I recognized that the business world really needed professionals who could help them focus on how they were leading, 
the psychological aspects of, of leading well. So um, that that's what I would say about how it all started. Yeah, yeah, this is that's that's a really amazing story. And when you start talking about integration, you're speaking my language because I love to integrate. Yeah. You know, people who know me know that I love to integrate people, process, technology, strategy. I love integrating all of those things. So, uh, tell us a little bit about how you were able to integrate your past as a journalist and in publishing, and integrate that with psychology. Well, you know, it really turned out to be a major strength. My having been a writer. Uh, and ha- especially having been uh, a journalistic writer, because I, I learned how to ask the right questions. I learned how to dig for information. I learned how to present information in a compelling, informing way. So a lot of the skills that I acquired as a journalist and a lot of the knowledge that I gained as being someone working in a Fortune 500 company uh, informed me tremendously in terms of my initial steps toward consulting to business executives in, in global business organizations and in the not-for-profit sector too. Yeah, I think that's, that's that's such a great story. And I love the way that you described how you were able to integrate in terms of asking questions, understanding, presenting. Mm-hmm. Those are all key, key uh, skills that you need to have. But Carol, you, you didn't just coach uh, you know, managers or, or just leaders. You focused on the highest level of these Fortune yeah. 500 companies. Tell us, right. why is it important to you to focus on that very high level? Well, you know, people often ask me that question or a question like that, or just they will say, well, Carol, these people at the top, I mean, they got there. What do they need? Why do they need to work? with an executive coach. And, you know, I say two things in response to that question. Number one, why does every professional athlete have a coach, (laughs) right? Because, I mean, if if they want to be as successful as they can possibly be, they need to keep learning. They need to keep examining themselves and striving and doing what they need to do to excel. Number two, the thing about senior business leaders, they're smart. They know their business. They're uh, they're stellar in whatever their functional areas may be, but there is always something to learn about how they're leading. The behavioral dimension, and behavior is the domain of psychology. And so I, you know, saw that, and you know, in, in my initial work, there was one company here in Philadelphia, that uh, Roman Haas company, where I designed a an executive development program with the top HR person there. And in 20 years, you know, we work with 70 people. And when the company was sold, 20% of those people went on to become CEOs in other places. So it was that 20 years of meeting people at the VP level, SVP level, and ultimately at the top C level that enabled me to learn and establish my reputation at the C level. That's that's such such an amazing uh, story, Carol. I, I really appreciate how you describe that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna say the words that you said. Uh, you know, behavior is the domain of psychology. That just sums up what the show is about. Right? Mm-hmm. We're talking about mm-hmm. people and and the behaviors that they engage in, and that is absolutely the domain of psychology. Um, Carol, I want to want to pull a little bit more on your experience here because you've you've talked about how you you've you know really pioneered in the in the area of 
executive coaching, but I know that you've also focused in the area of being a trusted uh, leadership advisor. Can you help us understand what is the difference between just executive coaching and and trusted leadership advising? That's a great question. So, you know, you begin an engagement with a senior person by focusing on some area or areas of behavior, leadership behavior, in which they need to improve, in which they need to grow. And you do the work, and if you establish the rapport and you establish the value proposition of what psychology brings to the leader's portfolio of functional expertise, they want to continue. You complete the engagement, let's say typically it's a one-year engagement, and at the end of it, they will say, you know, this is so valuable to me. I understand the power of psychology in all that I do. I want to continue the work. I want to use the insights that I've gained in the coaching engagement. I want to leverage what I've learned in ways that will continue uh, or that will influence my continuing to be as effective as I need to be. And that's the transition from executive coach to trusted leadership advisor. You've built the trust in that first year of the engagement. You've established rapport with the senior leader and they have they want you in the inner circle of people who will advise them on critical issues that will help accelerate the growth of their companies. Carol, you're you're hitting on all the things that I love here. You you've brought up the value proposition of psychology. And this is one of the things that I think is so critical is, you know, just doing a better job of of explaining the value proposition of psychology to leaders and to business in general. And and I, and I know that you've done that in your book, Destined to Lead, especially because in this book, you've also had the leaders reflect upon their coaching experience. Can you tell us a little bit about your book and that, that, uh, that activity of having the leader reflect upon their experience? And if there's any stories you can share, that'd be awesome. Well, um, you know, I wanted wanted the side-by-side reflections, not just my analysis of the case. I wanted the reader to be able to hear from the clients. And so we did that double-blind. I did not see any of the reflections before I finished writing the case study. And they didn't see the case study before they wrote their reflections. And what I expected was not what happened. I expected that they were going to talk about, you know, the incredible insights they gained. They did. They did talk about that. But what they talked about the most in in these reflections was the length of the relationship with the trusted leadership advisor. Every one of those case studies involved my working with each of those leaders mm-hmm. for 5, 10, 15 years. Mm-hmm. That's what I mean about becoming the trusted leadership advisor and being a member of leaders' inner circles of people whom they turn to when they need good advice about how to handle usually the people dimension of their roles. You know, these senior people, they don't have they don't have many folks they can talk to, by the way. You know, you reach the top there and there's an expectation 
that you've evolved, you know what to do, you're going to be able to make the right decisions, you're so well informed. But you know, you're still human, you still have the kinds of anxieties mm-hmm. and worries and concerns that the rest of us do. So to have a trusted leadership advisor, where you can express that, where you have a safe place to deal with your anxiety and your fears and your concerns mm-hmm. is really part of that value proposition. And the other thing I want to say is, you know, oftentimes people will joke you know, about psychologists and say, oh, well, you know, you're just shrinking. And, you know, in this work, we're not shrinks. We're expanders. I, I love that. Expanders, right? I, I think that's that's such a great approach to it because as you've described in terms of leadership, uh, you know, it can be so lonely. And, and I see the work that we right. do can sometimes really be that that partnership, right? I think sometimes we're, we're the partner that comes alongside the leader to to help them to think through things, you know, to, to help them just be successful. And so I love the way that you've described that. We, we're expanding. You know, I'm, I want to pick up on that word partner just to flesh out a little bit more about the nature of my conceptualization of the trusted leadership advisor role. You are working very intently with your C-level client. Mm-hmm. But to do this work really well, you also need to establish partnerships with that person's boss and with that person's top HR person, Mm -hmm. because you want to have that flow of collateral information from the organization about your client. Now being trained clinically, the really important point here as well is you know how to manage the boundaries of confidentiality. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I would say that's a really differentiating factor about working as a trusted leadership advisor in the way I do. I am listening and seeing and hearing my client, but I have also these collateral observations. So I have a clear picture of what's going on in the system, in the context, as well as what's going on within my client and how he or she is reacting and managing all of it. So so you're really you're really in their entire ecosystem in terms of their business. Yes. Right? Well said. Yep. So, I think that's the way to do the work. Yeah, that's. I think that's the most great. powerful way to do the work. Because then you can really see what else is going on that may be impacting them, that may be affecting them, and so you can speak to those things as well. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great approach, Carol. I really like the way that you um, you describe this, and I, I I work similarly myself when I when I work with leaders. You know, I I call it a partnership because I want to help them be successful and help their business be successful. So I absolutely agree with your approach here. Um, Carol, I want to move on just to something else because I know that you've, there's so much that you do. I want to touch on a few other things. The other thing that we talked about is, is that you do is succession planning. Uh, help right. us understand why is that so important and how does psychology or psychological pr- principles play a role in that? So, you know, the most important uh, issue that any board of directors has to deal with is CEO succession. And How does psychology contribute to that? There's just one major point that I want to emphasize about that, Ernest, and that is they need to make certain that they are looking at the behavioral dimension. It's not, you know, when they're trying to decide who who would be the next best CEO of the company, they're assessing internal candidates, if they're lucky, they have a bench of internal candidates, and they're probably looking at external candidates. And in my experience, anybody can read a resume. You can look at the 
background of a person in terms of their work history. You can look at their pedigree in terms of their education, their technical knowledge, whatever it may be. But it's the behavioral dimension that will make the difference. I mean, we can pick up the Wall Street Journal on any given day and read stories about leaders who have failed. And when you read those stories, you know, most of the time, it is some misstep in terms of how they have led. And so my major contribution in any CEO succession situation is really ensuring that the company has defined what it's going to take to choose someone who is going to continue to foster the kind of culture they want to have in the organization to accelerate growth and how they're going to motivate and inspire the people to achieve whatever the strategic objectives may be. Yeah, so that, that really requires you to not only understand the the organization, but you need to have a good understanding of the culture in the business right. that you're working with, as well as understand you know the kinds of people, the kinds of leaders that are going to be really helpful and effective in that in that setting. Exactly, it's the integration of IQ and EQ. Mm, that's the what and the how. That, I, <laughs> That's, uh, Carol, you think we'd plan this. This is just such a great, great transition for me because I really want to ask you about uh, emotional intelligence and your focus of, of emotional intelligence in the workplace. You know, Daniel Goleman wrote the, the first book, I think, in the late 1990s. And at the time, I was consulting to a global pharmaceutical company. And I called my HR partner there and I said, Tom, listen, we have to bring this. We have to embed this into the culture there. It took 20 years. I mean, they're there now, but, um, you know, really, so Goldman started, started, his writing is kind of dense though, and hard to um, uh, identify the, the key factors. So when I teach and coach uh, emotional intelligence, mm-hmm. I use the acronym SO SMART. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. SO stands for self-observation. SM stands for self-management. A stands for attunement, and in attunement, we have empathy, of course. And then the RT stands for relationship traction, not relating to people in just a transactional way, but in a visceral, relational, intimate, meaningful way. And uh, I just think, especially in this 21st century Darwinian business atmosphere we're in, um, leaders who are mindful of emotional intelligence as a key dimension in their leadership are going to be more effective than those who are not. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. I think being aware not just of your your own emotions and, and how it affects your behavior, but also others, right? Thinking about exactly. uh, the, the combination of those two is, is critical to how, how you respond, how you behave, and how effective and efficient the leader and their teams are. You know, one of my... Uh, One of my favorite uh, stories about using emotional intelligence with a C-level client involved uh, a brilliant, brilliant R&D scientist in a pharmaceutical company who was trying uh, to convince senior management about why they had to launch a certain drug. And uh, he was at the CEO's final meeting where they were going to make that decision. And it didn't look like it was going to go that way. And uh, he almost had one of his outbursts, my client, where he was going to say, 
He didn't, but where he was going to say, if you don't decide to launch this drug, you have S-H-I-T for brains. He didn't say it because I had focused with him on the SM, the self-management dimension of emotional intelligence. Mm -hmm. And the technique that I used was a gestalt technique. So again, drawing from psychology and Mm -hmm. said, Bob, I want you to imagine that I am sitting next to you in these important meetings. I will hear and I will will see how you behave. And because of the nature of our relationship, and frankly, he wanted to show me that he was a good student, a good client, you know, he was able, he was able to manage himself appropriately. Mm -hmm. That's, that's really cool. So that's the work that you, you'd done with him to help them manage their own uh, emotions was, it was really helpful to them in not um, um, behaving poorly, right? In that moment. I mean, I had another client where if I go to the self-observation of the self-awareness dimension Mm -hmm. of EQ, who because he had such an incredible sense of fairness about how to treat people, what was happening was he was keeping mediocre talent in critical roles for too long. And it was really getting in the way of his being the leader he needed to be. So after some, after I'd taken his life history and I had some psych- psychological measures that I'd use, I finally said to him in, in a meeting, I said, you know, I, I, I know how you value fairness. And I understand surely how important fairness is, but I, what about fairness to your leadership team? What about fairness to the organization? If you're going to continue to keep people in roles in which they cannot perform well. And it was a turning point in terms of how he was thinking, how he was framing fairness. He stopped worrying about what would happen if he fired someone and thought instead about ensuring that he had the talent that he needed to achieve the objectives that were established, the business objectives. That's that's, that's such a powerful uh, story, Carol. It, mm-hmm. it, it brings to mind so many of my clients who you know struggle with trying to put um, you know people that they know are not in the right position, but they have such a hard time moving them out because they don't want to hurt their feelings and they're thinking of that that person so your story really highlights the rest of the group that that the rest of the 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 organization that that needs to be thought of right if a leader is in the wrong position what about their team what about people that they work with and so i think that's i I love that example i love that example uh carol one of the things that you know that i i struggle with as someone who does this kind of work is, is what you've described in terms of demonstrating value to the mm-hmm. business, demonstrating value to the to the leaders of engaging, you know, coaches, consultants, things like that. How are you able to overcome that? Because you've had such an amazing career. Well, you know, I um, I get asked a question, that question, a lot, and so I there are there are five things that I would say about that. First of all, um, you need to do an integration. If your client recognizes that you're integrating not just what you're learning about him or her, but what the business challenges are, what the culture of the company is, what's going on in that space in whatever industry the the company is in, um, that surely leads to your having a lot of credibility. The second thing is you have to have a model. 
for whatever it is you're doing. And you have to be able to articulate what that model is. And so, you know, my model has always been um, uh, uh, data gathering, feedback, coaching, and consolidation. And I can talk to what goes on in those phases of my model, but being clear about what your model is. The other thing I would point to, and we've already referred to it in this conversation, is form your partnerships with the boss and the HR person. I mean, there are lots of people who do executive coaching who they may talk, they talk to the organization at the beginning and maybe in the end, but there is nothing that happens in between. And if you don't form those partnerships, uh, you really will not establish the kind of credibility that you're capable of establishing if you pay attention to that factor. And then empathy. I think empathy, of course, the coach or the TLA, trusted leadership mm -hmm. advisor, being an empathic person who can establish that empathic resonance with the client is really important. Mm -hmm. And then finally, comfort with intimacy. So, you know, if you're going to have really successful initial coaching engagements with your client and they ask you to continue, in my experience, Ernest, you're comfortable with that kind of intimacy. You're looking at your client in a holistic way. They know that you are making an effort to see them and that you are with them through their successes mm -hmm. and through times that are really, really very stressful and demanding. So mm -hmm. those are the key factors, I think, that have contributed to my being able to continue to work at the top. That's that's really very helpful. And from, from the business perspective, what should they be be thinking when they're looking at, at hiring coaches and consultants? What should they be getting out of the, those engagements? Well, I mean, what they should get is an experience for their leaders that will enrich and enhance their effectiveness. And that's where the behavioral dimension comes in. And that's where psychology is such an invaluable tool for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I love all of that, Carol. Um, Carol, I want to be respectful of time and, right. and uh, wrap this up. I know we're, we're definitely going to have to come, have you come back because there's just so Thank much you. more I want to ask you about. But um, how, how do how do people get a hold of you, Carol? Because I know you're just a wealth of knowledge and, and are willing to coach and mentor people. Well, I mean, the, the, the one issue I'm most focused on now, it's really my legacy issue, Ernest, is this conceptualization of the trusted leadership advisor role, shifting from coach to TLA. Um, I'm giving a symposium, actually, on this topic in October mm -hmm. here in Philadelphia, October 30th and 31st, if anyone is interested in that. Mm -hmm. um, but I'm also mentoring folks who are interested in, in doing this work at the top, and they can reach me at my email, kmw at wassolution.com. Excellent. Carol, I, I can't thank you enough for having come on the show. And uh, I, I want to take advantage of you one more time and say, just because we have you on the show, I always ask everybody, what is some advice or tip that you have for business leaders and CEOs in this current environment? Well, you know, it's a VUCA world. You've heard that phrase probably. Volatile, uncertain, chaotic, ambiguous. Um, this, again, is have a trusted leadership advisor and help you manage that VUCA quality. Um, so stay focused on the importance of leadership behavior. And the second thing I would say, keep stretching toward the future. Don't get uh, trapped 
in the doing box. Um, I mean, I hear that often. People, leaders will be described as, oh, they're great operators. Well, mm -hmm. being a great operator is important, but being seen as someone who is stretching toward the future, looking mm -hmm. out over the horizon, dealing with the Darwinian challenges that have to be dealt with in creative different ways is really an absolute differentiator now. And I believe having strong emotional intelligence is a major differentiator in this uh, business climate that we're in now. Yeah, I, I love that advice. It's, it's, it's really not just not just being a tactical leader, but also being a strategic leader, right? Thinking towards the future and making sure that you have the skills and the tools. And, uh, and, and finally, making sure that you surround yourself with the right talent. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I talk about the three R's, right people in the right roles and the leaders doing what they need to do to ensure the right culture for talented people to succeed. Mm, love that. Absolutely love that. Carol, it's been an absolute pleasure to have oh, you on you. the show. It's been really fun to talk with you, Ernest. Thank you so much. Carry on. This topic is so compelling, this topic yeah. of psychology and business. Carry Thank on. Thank you, Carol. I really appreciate it. And again, I think we're, we're definitely going to have to have you come back on. I want to hear more of those great stories that you have. <laughs> Thank you. Many to tell. Bye-bye. <laughs> well, thanks, everyone, for listening. This has been uh, Psych in Business, and I hope you've had a great time listening. I listen. look forward to talking to you next time. Thanks, all.